1: visit PreacherBoysDoc.com or connect on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Now, here is your host,
0: Eric Skwarzynski. So I was sitting down to record. I wanted to take about 20, 30 minutes. I was going to record a solo episode. And honestly, I just got to a point where I was like, there's a lot of different things happening right now that I think have ramifications in the evangelical world, at least, but definitely within the IFB world. And obviously the North Valley uh, situation is still something that's fresh in my mind. Then on the evangelical world, you've got the Jerry Falwell kind of thing happening and then a lot of questions and feedback coming in from existing episodes. And so what I decided to do last minute, because I didn't want to create just a hodgepodge episode on accident, is to create one on purpose. I wanted to just go ahead and go live in the group and just, basically make myself available for about 20, 30 minutes for a kind of live Q and a, and I'm going to basically just take the audio from this Q and a, turn it into an actual episode of the show in lieu of my solo episode. And William asked, how do you think the tree defiance of COVID restrictions will be seen in retrospect six months from now? That's a good question. And so I'll go at this from two angles. One being defiance in regards to him specifically. Where I think about Treber's defiance of the orders right now, like I said in that video, and I and I did that video to save my piece and be able to move on, but it looks like I'll probably end up saying a lot more about it. My issue with Treber is not primarily his defiance of the COVID orders. I'll get into my feelings on that personally in a second, but... My issue is not him defying the orders so much as it is his response to this and the way he's leveraging this, as opposed to how he handled abuse allegations in his church. And my big concern and my big frustration with Treber and with more so even with people supporting him is that they're treating him as a martyr, as this pastor, who's a soldier of the faith. And regardless of your stance on COVID, he's not those things. And I think you have to Choose who you support and and choose who you choose to by name, make a point to stand behind. This would be the equivalent, um, if I took it outside the Baptist realm, if you took it into, should any other religious group be able to meet? Look at other Baptist churches. Would you specifically say, oh, I support a Westboro Baptist church? Uh, again, do you support the principle of them having freedom of religion and all that? Yeah, of course. But do you specifically in your post say praying for the Westboro Baptist church? you probably wouldn't do that. And I think with Treber, he's done a very good job of branding himself as a martyr um, in in spite of the fact that uh, he's had an atrocious approach toward victims of sexual abuse and has covered up many different cases of sexual abuse. I'm actually compiling a list. I know a couple of people have asked if there was a list of all the different allegations that have been made at his church, all the different crimes that have been covered there. Uh, I am working on that. I'm taking my time to make sure that it's thorough. There are Uh, I can't share it with you just yet, but right now there are one, two, three, four, and there's five names I have right now with pretty thorough backstories on. Five abusers that have come out of Golden State in the last two decades or so. And so there is a lot of information there that's going to um, be coming out pretty soon. I'm not going to release it as this big blast to everybody because I think it'll fall someone on deaf ears. It'll just look like a smear campaign. But people have been asking privately, so I'd be happy to privately share that information uh, with them. And then at a later time where it doesn't look like some kind of calculated release, because it's really not, it's just coming out of demand, I'll definitely release that. As far as the political side, I don't know. I right now, I maybe it's because I'm from California, so I, maybe I have a little bit of leftist liberal blood in me. But no, I, right now I think that I think that the restrictions make sense. I think that people are doing their job to try to handle something we don't know how to handle. And I think that the media, a lot of things can be true. The media is using this to stir up a lot of panic, but there's also legitimate medical concerns. There's also, there's a lot of things there. I'm happy I'm not a pastor. I'm happy I'm not running a college and trying to figure this stuff out, how to navigate it, but I'm defaulting on the side of if the medical community is pretty much unanimously saying that this is a action we need to take me personally, again, I'm not taking a stance on behalf of the show. Like I, I, for me personally, that's where I would say that falls again. It really doesn't matter in the scope of what the purpose of preacher boys is. That's just my personal view. I have friends who very much disagree. I have pastors that I respect greatly that disagree. And again, I don't think I would have made any kind of post about Treiber really, unless he had the history that he had. There are other IFB churches that are trying to open and I can disagree and move along, but I think Treber, it's just his backstory with this is really frustrating. And so anyway, I, as far as how it's going to be seen in six months, who knows? And the tricky thing about the virus is we'll never know what kept the rates down. Is it because people were masks and social distance is it because it wasn't as serious as everybody thought, there's really no way to calculate because every action we take changes the results. It hasn't really run its course in a way where we can say, oh, it definitely would have wiped out a million people. We we can't say that because people did lock down and people did self-quarantine and all that stuff. I think the truth is always somewhere in the middle. There's the extreme sides that are politicizing this. Definitely not on either side of that. I don't think people are... Absolute villains, if they don't uh, believe that it's as legitimate as some people, Um, I don't see a reason why it wouldn't be legit. But again, that's just my personal view. So, in six months, who knows how this will be seen? I think for the most part, it'll be seen the same way it's already seen. Um, With how politicized it is now, I think you're going to see a lot of pastors who look back and say, Oh, during that time you stood strong, all that. And then I think you'll see people who were upset about them opening uh, coming back and saying, Hey, uh, That was something wrong that they did. They overstepped and looked to it as a historical moment of failure on the IFB part. Carrie says, can you share your testimony, nothing to do with IFB or abuse, just your relationship with the Lord so I know where where you stand? That's a good question. And I think I I shared it on uh, my episode that I did on The Recovering Fundamentalist, which I'll put in the show notes of this episode when it releases. And one of the things I was going to ask you, uh, Eric, on this episode is one of the things you're not able to do on your podcast, or maybe just by the nature of your podcast, you have chosen not to talk a whole lot about yourself or about your own experiences. But the way we've set our podcast up, we have, we have leaned really heavily into stories. And so I was wondering if you'd be willing to share us a little bit about your spiritual journey. You dropped a little hint, and I'm going to ask you about that in a minute on your last episode or one of the last few episodes. But I was wondering if you could kind of share a little bit about your story as far as just your spiritual journey journey. Right. Well, and and just to explain for anyone who's listening to this and is thinking, you know, why is he not sharing? And, and the, I've had some people reach out and ask, why don't you talk about your spiritual side or, or things like this? And the Preacher Boys podcast, and for people I'm sure will tune into it after listening to this, the goal was to have a platform where anybody from any background could have a safe space to talk about abuse. And, and the goal is really to give victims an opportunity to to share which most of them haven't and it's to give people who aren't victims an opportunity to understand the process of abuse and how it happens yeah
1: and I think you've done um, a real good job of communicating that and I think that's a wise I, approach
0: I appreciate that um but since we're on the recovering fundamentalist I will share my my background so um, I did grow up in a tamer version of fundamentalism it was mainly ministries that we were partnered with, or we would spend time with at youth conferences or things like that, where I saw the crazy kind of come out a little bit. Um, and so like we had the normal stuff that, you know, dress standards, the, you don't listen to music with a beat kind of thing like that, that kind of conversation. Um, you don't go to movie theaters and, and so on. Um, and we also from a spiritual side, we had a lot of the, um, you want to please God, you want to give God your best. Um, Those kind of phrases were very common, Um, especially um, it's, it's almost funny talking to my mom about it now because her experience in a lot of ways differed from mine being on the youth group side of like the messages we heard were very much like, if you listen to this type of music, it doesn't please God. If you dress a certain way, it doesn't please God. If you're not involved in enough ministries, it doesn't please God. Do you want God to look at you and be happy or be angry and just very toxic theology and essentially my view, my view of God getting ready to graduate and go to Bible college was there's nothing I can do, which is almost halfway there to the gospel message. There's nothing I can do that's gonna please this guy. Yeah. And so why am I slaving away mm. and for and for what reason? And mm. um I, I can't tell you how many evangelists would come in. My my pastor never said this, but guest speakers would come in and they would speak freely like this. Is they would say things like, even if you're not sure God's real, or even if you don't know about the Christian message in its entirety, don't you want to just ask Jesus in your heart so you have that fire insurance? Because the worst thing that could happen is you die without it and you're gonna to go to hell. So at least get that fire insurance and then find out more. And it was kind of my thought process, like I wouldn't have verbalized it this way, but I was like, Well, I have my fire insurance, I have the date, you know, my Bible, and I'm good to go. Um So why do I need to waste time in Bible college and all these things? So my plan was to go to Bible college for one year, move somewhere else in the country, do my media stuff I wanted to do. And then like, hopefully no one asked me about church, Um, not going to Bible college, at least at West Coast was probably the smartest thing. And I say it's sovereign that God didn't allow me to go because I would have, I think that would have put a final nail in the casket as far as like pushing me out of Christianity as a whole. Um, but I ended up going to the church in in Fresno that was connected to the media ministry I was working at. Um, the pastor there—I'll um, name drop him. I don't, you know, I don't know if he expects advertisements on all these shows, but I name dropped him on mine, so we'll see. But um, his name's Joshua Ermler, and um, he was—he was kind of on a path as well, rediscovering kind of what you guys are doing. It was—it was what is the gospel. What is, what is our job as Christian? What's our responsibility? What is, what's the standard and what's, what's actual theology? Mm-hmm.
2: Because of the finished work of Christ, the Spirit is my birthright. The fruit of the Spirit is my inheritance, and since now I am a joint heir with Jesus, all spiritual blessing bestowed upon Jesus is also mine by divine legal right. And I declare and receive that statement as an eternal reality from God, because that is truth, and everything else a lie. You see the world and religion wants to teach us. Well, you gotta jump through this hoop and you gotta play hopscotch with morality in order to get to a place where you can experience the gifts and experience what God has for you. And I'm here to say this, no, you simply receive the grace that God makes available and you accept it by faith alone in the finished work of Jesus. You get to that place and his spirit will give you what you need to perform. His spirit will give you what you need to do what you need to do, but we get it all backwards. We try to perform. way to spirit. And he says, no, you got a spirit, your way to performance. That is how it works. And it starts with faith.
0: He very heavily drove, like I attended the church. That was part of my job. Like I worked there. So I went, but I I wasn't at a place where I really wanted to talk about that. And he just created an atmosphere where like, that's what everyone talked about was it wasn't like, it wasn't the way it used to be for me growing up where it was like, oh, I want to impress them with how many verses I know or this knowledge that I have. It was the bl- the lifeblood of the church was, what is the gospel? What is the gospel? And I, it's funny because I would go through these ebb and flows of being like, I know what the gospel is. It's Jesus died for our sins. Realize you're a sinner and accept him in your heart. That's the gospel. Okay, done. And he was like, no, you realize the gospel is for believers too. Hmm. And, and that was the first time I'd ever really... Heard that? Explain that way, and so um, between him and between me, starting to get, I, get, I became a voracious reader. Um, it started actually, funnily enough, um, with Mark Driscoll. Um, he, I was the prime demographic for Mark Driscoll at the time. Me too. Um, yeah, and so not yep. me. So 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 li- so listening to Mark Driscoll though, and I just found him by chance because I looked up something my pastor had said, and I looked him up. I looked it up. I found Mark Driscoll. Um, he seemed, I was like, man, he's so gracious compared to all the preachers that used to come into our church. <laughs> so it's, <laughs> it's so funny now, but, um, but he would, he just was like, he had such a big view of God for, in his sermon. Yeah. And then uh, he would reference people. And I was like, Oh, he just referenced John Calvin. What does John Calvin say? So I was reading the little pamphlets from Ligonier with excerpts from Calvin. I was reading John MacArthur. I was reading, um, Timothy Keller. I was reading like all these different people. And, um, R. C. Sproul's Holiness of God was like shattered my brain. Like and and reading all these books and understanding all this time I'd been worried about location in the sense of, okay, what do I have to do to not go to hell? And that was what was preached was you don't want to go to hell, so follow Jesus. And the gospel really is understanding Christ's position as Lord and our responsibility and our role as a created being to worship him. And so the location that we should be worried about is our proximity to our creator who gives us the ultimate way to live and gives us ultimate joy and peace and not, we want to be in heaven away from pain and suffering and struggle. And uh, John Piper actually uh, says, if you had everything you ever wanted, if all your family, if everyone you could ever be with was there in heaven and you could live there forever with them and God wasn't there, would that be enough for you? Hmm.
2: to go to heaven have everybody there in your family that you want there have all the health and restoration of your prime and everything you dislike about yourself fixed have every recreation you've ever dreamed available to you and have infinite resources of money to spend would you be satisfied if god weren't there
0: and and that kind of questioning just really blew my mind of like it's better to be with Jesus in the worst situation than to be walking on streets of gold without Jesus. Mm -hmm. And that's the core gospel message is understanding the Lordship of Jesus Christ and the fact that there is no life outside of him. And so that is what kind of pushed me into going and saying like, I'm going to leave this. I want to start doing some, some of the missions work I was doing and, and, I I was able like, I just, for me, it was like the lights were on and it was like, how was I in church for 20 years and never understood the core Mm. principle of Christianity, which is that Jesus is Lord. Last couple of years has really been a journey for me to understand further, like what is religion and what is relationship. And that's not to say that religion is unimportant. Jesus established religion. But when you look at the way that Christianity looks in the first century of the church, versus how it looks in modern day American culture. When you see a guy like a Jerry Falwell getting a $10.5 million severance for leaving his ministry, it's there's a lot of things that just play out differently. And I, my biggest thing that I see on a spiritual side is a lot of people within the independent Baptist movement are acting out of fear. They go to church three times a week because they're fearful of making God upset. They're fearful about doing things because it'll make God upset. And that's not a great motivator. That's not something that's going to keep you from doing something that's wrong. The best way I could explain it is this. If you understand that you have a father who loves you and cares about you and gave everything for you, you're much less likely to do something, lack of a better word, behind his back or to try to do something that would hurt him versus when you have a God who's abusive and just angry at you All the time, even though you're a son angry at you, you're going to be the person that sneaks out and tries to live your life anyway. And when my picture of God changed the picture of who I was changed in relationship to that. And my personal testimony is just getting to understand that God was bigger than the men of God that I was seeing in the pulpits who were letting me down. It was bigger than the people who were taking things and using scare tactics to get me to do one more ministry or one more this And so just having a place where it was really part of our DNA and our culture and uh, part of our daily conversations, just because we wanted to talk about something we're excited about was revolutionary to me. And then just the other part of that, I'll just say, so this isn't, this doesn't play into my, I guess, salvation or my conversion, but I spent two years as a missionary and seeing how church operated outside of the US really helped expand my viewpoints as well. Uh, It's one of the reasons... for context that when I look at churches talking about persecution in the US, I struggle a lot of times to see it because I've been in places where people, I've talked to pastors who've lost their homes in communist Cuba. Before the embargo was lifted, I was in communist Cuba talking with pastors who had their homes taken away from them. I've been to India where radical uh, sects of Hindus would tear down churches brick by brick. And when you see that stuff, and then you come to the American church and people squabble over the color of their carpet or someone wearing a tie or not, or some accreditation or all these things that they preach about and warn people about, it's hard for me to connect with a lot of people in the American church. And to be honest, that's been hard for me trying to find a church. Obviously, COVID's not helped recently, but there's a lot of um, churches that aren't, I believe, biblical churches. I don't have to sound prideful or cocky or arrogant, but once you see the real thing, it's hard to go for something that just doesn't meet up with that. So anyway, so I would say that was my kind of understanding of who God was. And then I would say that the missions work and seeing the church internationally, like the church big C is, was really impactful on me as a Christian. Dylan, I can answer this, uh, my personal motivation that started the Preacher Boys podcast. I actually did another Q&A a while back where I actually got into this. Really what finally pulled the trigger for me. So I had a case of abuse that was, or an abuser who was covered up at our church and then what finally broke me just last year was the Giovanelli situation and it just got me upset um, just fired up, concerned and so I went to my car, recorded a live stream and essentially uh, said like if you're an independent Baptist like you need to get out of this movement and there is something better out there so hey what's up so guys I just want to record a quick video, this isn't a tip or something related to cameras or the usual stuff that I would normally post um This video is just for everybody who's still in the IFB movement. Um, for those of you that don't know, um, be thankful. Uh, But for those of you that are and are familiar with the background that I'm talking about, I'm talking about the independent fundamental Baptist movement. And uh, I haven't, I used to write quite a bit about, uh, you know, things I saw that were troubling, uh, within that group. I grew up in that movement. Um, I'm connected with a lot of people in that movement and, uh, you know, in addition to a lot of, you know, theological positions that I don't agree with, which, you know, I can set a lot of those things aside, you know, and still fellowship, but there's, um, there's a huge, um, effort within the IFB movement to, um, to cover up sex abuse and, uh, child abuse. And, um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm angry today. Um, I was just, I'm just talking to my wife. Um, you know, I'm reading. Um, those of you that don't know for context, sorry, and I'm just decided to do this because I didn't want to write a long post because I, I don't even have time to record a video right now. But, um, Cameron Giovannelli from uh, North Valley Baptist Church, which is, I think, now the largest IFB mega church uh, out of Santa Clarita. Uh, Jack Treber is the pastor. Um, one of his staff members was discovered to have been having um, a multiple year. Um, a sexual relationship with a minor and uh, just uh, the court just made a decision and found him guilty he confessed to the crime that he committed and you would think great, justice has served uh, one of the few that actually got caught um, but um, what I saw the last couple of days has been really frustrating um, you have Bob Gray Sr., is a very large voice when it comes to um, a large section of the IFB movement, um, and he tweeted that, you know, he was coerced to confess, it's not true, uh, we should stand and not jump to conclusions, he wrote a whole article about why most confessions aren't accurate, just, just crazy stuff. Um, then you have Pastor T. Michael Creed, uh, he's a co-founder of Awake America, I know a lot of people I'm connected with on this page uh, work with Awake America unfortunately full disclosure um i have done contract work with awake america um about two years ago i think it was the last one i did with them and um i just stopped answering calls from them um i'm, I'm not going to work with them again um you know i thought there were some political differences uh but i just looked at it as a job but now that i see what Pastor C. michael creed said this week which is we need to stay on the wall and not address issues like child molestation um that's disgusting and so um So Pastor T. Michael Creed, if your church is partnered, you know, look and check. If you're partnered with Awake American Ministries, uh, just keep in mind that their leadership and one of the co, I believe he's a co-founder, support pedophiles and covering up pedophilia in the church. So, um, and then also there's a pastor, I'm blanking on his name right now, he's from Home Line Baptist Church in Texas. um, And he is actually trying to raise money to help Cameron Giovanelli pay for his, his, his all the expenses that come with him being arrested for being literally a pedophile. And so he's using his church uh, name. He's using his pastoral office to raise funds to support a child molester and a confessed child molester. And so listen, all I want to say is this case is not unfortunately rare. Um, There are hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of cases throughout IFB history, starting with one of the men who was extremely influential back in the 60s, Jack Hiles. If you just go down the rabbit hole of all the things that he covered up, all the people that he moved around, the kids on his bus routes that were abused, this is something that we have to stop saying is a couple of people in the IFB movement. There are good people who attend. There's good people that get involved in cults. But I'm telling you the leadership from the top up is being silent about child abuse. I'm talking people who affiliate with Jack Treber, I'm talking people who have supported guys who, you know, like T. Michael Creed with Awake America, people who are endorsing people who are okay with sweeping child abuse under the rug because it'll, you know, it'll make them look good to other boys in the boys' club, their preacher boys club. And so I'm telling you, if you're in the IFB movement, if you're in an independent fundamental Baptist church, you know, I, it's not worth it. Just get out there. The, the statistics are not in your favor. I, I read a book, um, and I'll end with this. I read a book about two years ago called I fired God by Jocelyn Zichterman. She was in the 2020 documentary that, um, they literally preached against at um, a master's Men conference when I was, a when I was a kid. Um, but she wrote a book called I fired God talking about her abuse in the IFB movement. And, um, She was literally grew up in South Carolina and a lot of the people she named in the book that helped cover up her abuse are people that I knew directly, people that I interacted with, people that came and spoke when I was a kid in my chapels in my Christian school. And so the IFB is a small world, so to speak, but there are independent Baptist churches everywhere. And I can guarantee you if you meet someone who is in leadership in a higher position, they're one degree away from someone who... Is involved in some kind of scandal, uh, child molest- molestation, uh, pedophilia, um, you know, all kinds of crazy things. And, you know, I'm usually not this aggressive and I don't, you know, I've been out of that movement, luckily, thank God, for several years. But I'm seeing what I saw this week is disgusting. And you can see the last post I posted, I listed the thread of some of the comments. That's just a small fraction of what I've seen posted out on Twitter this week. So, Guys, just please uh, do your research. If you are involved, any church that you're in, any 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 group that you belong to, do your research and see what the roots are and what the top, you know, leadership is saying, and make an informed decision. Um, so, all right, guys, uh, I just wanted to just want to shut that and get that off my chest. That was the motivation that started the Preacher Boys podcast, and then you said, "What would you like to see next happen with Preacher Boys?" There's a couple things I'd like to see happen. One, I just want to have more resources available for survivors. So I want to have a more fleshed out survivor resources page. I'd like to work with more experts to provide some more trainings and things like that for pastors, for just people and communities at large. And then I would also, I would also hear to have a book out as well. That's something that I've been talking about pretty seriously. And I think I know the angle I want to go with it, but I just don't want it to be A book version of the podcast. I want it to be something that's useful. And then obviously the documentary side, which I want to be working on as well. Yeah. So Preacher Boys really started just with that kind of built up like, someone needs to talk about this. Why not me? And I think the moving forward, it's going to be beyond just hearing the stories. I think it's going to be hearing how to address them in future content. And then Sarah, you said, I'm worried about the environment we're passing down to our legacy. How do we hand down a community of religious freedom to our posterity in an IFB environment? I think what, when it talks about legacy, when I think about it, and I guess I'll just go the route of passing down like legitimate Christianity to the next generation. I think for me, what I want to be very careful of is to teach my, I've said on the show a million times, but what I want to do is really communicate the fact that truth has nowhere to hide. Truth always wins. And with my kid, I want to be very careful. I have a daughter. She's three years old. And what I want to be very careful with her is to share what's very valuable and powerful to me and compelling to me about the Christian message, about the gospel message. But I also want to make sure that I don't force it on her. Now, what I'm not saying is... I'm just going to let her do whatever she wants all her whole life. I'm never going to talk about Jesus or anything like that. I'm not saying that. But what I do want to do is be very open with her and let her come to the conclusions of what I'm saying on her own. There's a lot of people I know, and we all know them who grew up within the IFB movement, who grew up in any religious denomination, Mormon, Catholic. And I think it's very dangerous when you, it's a fine line between training and indoctrinating. And so I believe if the truth is really the truth and I can communicate why I believe the Christian faith is true faith and why I can communicate that Christianity is compelling, why God is a good God, I think my daughter will see that clearly. What I don't want to do is just have her on flashcard Christianity where she knows all these answers but doesn't know how to have a conversation about it. And a lot of that too is just not sheltering from conversations. And that's one thing I've tried to do with this show you should be able to sit down with people who you disagree with. Uh, You should be able to sit down with people who uh, come to different conclusions than you, but you need to be able to sit there and objectively think about what are the facts, what's the truth in this situation, and always allow truth to be the primary goal of the conversation. And if you can do that, I believe that if you look at the world at large and you look at the Christian message, I think they're very coherent. I again this is not me trying to be preachy or try to have a backdoor evangelistic meeting through the podcast. But I will say this, like the truth of Christianity, not fundamentalism or not Baptist theology, like the truth of Christianity is very compelling. And no matter the times that I've been away from God or the times that I've been as close to God as possible, I've I've never once had a moment where I thought, oh, the Christian message is incorrect. It was always me being it was always me being like incoherent with the gospel message versus the gospel message being incoherent with my life. And I want to just teach her to have legitimate conversations and to have a faith that's her own and not a generational kind of faith. Now, when we talk about the church at uh, at large having religious freedom, I, I, again, I want to be careful here. One, the church isn't promised religious freedom. I I mentioned the churches in Cuba, in India, God doesn't promise freedom of religion. The church In the times where the Bible's telling us about be subject to your authorities, like you had guys like Nero operating in power, churches were meeting in tombs, they were meeting in catacombs and things like that. And so we're not promised religious freedom as Christians and that freedom being taken away doesn't affect Christianity. It affects us as people, but it doesn't affect our faith as believers. And so what I'll just go ahead and say about this is one, America could go away tomorrow and Christianity would still go on, but what I will say is this: as far as how I see the country at large, religion being able to be passed down. One, I don't think we can rely on the institutional religion being passed down. I don't think we're ever going to see Bibles taught in schools again, and I don't think that's even playing a factor in what God wants to do. I I, I think we the reason America is at the point it's at, and our culture is where it is, because people didn't have a legitimate personal. A grip of Christianity. It was something that they were taught. It was flashcard Christianity where they were taught to memorize verses and say their pledges. But I always see people say, let's get back to prayers in school. If that's the key, if that's what changes things, then we never would have got to this point. So anyway, um, all that to say, I think the way that we can pass it on in our country is just by being a light. I know it sounds generic, but I think the gospel message is compelling. I think if we can have earnest dialogue, and I think what we need to do proactively right now, I could say, here's one application, is have conversations with people you disagree with. And I think for too long, the religious right, because it has been politicized, the religious right and the political left, if you want to say that, or the Christians and atheists, the world and the church there's been a refusal to dialogue. It's been a lot of proclaiming things, which I think is fine. There's been a lot of proclaiming about what the other side is and not a lot of dialogue. And I think the church is going to hurt itself in the American context more by being rude and unkind and unwilling to dialogue and being uncharitable. Then that's going to just go ahead and speed up the process of whatever attempts people make to silence the church. Again, Speaking the truth is going to be offensive at times, but I think that the church is pulling a, it tends to pull itself into a boy who cried wolf mode and claim persecution that's not there. They, they'll pull the, we slap them and they slap us back and then we go to mom kind of mentality. So I think honestly, the church just needs to be careful what they call persecution. They need to be careful who they call out and be aggressive with and things like that. And I think ultimately they need to get back to just teaching how compelling the gospel narrative really is, because I don't think most people have a concept of what that is. I've never heard it presented in a way that moves past moral improvements. It's always uh, just add this to your life, do this better, stay faithful, fill in the blank, whatever. Uh, and there needs to be more of an understanding of who God really is historically in the Christian faith. So I hope that answered, I know that's a rambling answer, but I've got a million thoughts about the church in America. And again, this is unique to this. I know this is a Q and A, so I'm kind of answering some more unique, like more spiritual questions, but I just think churches really are focusing so much on perceived persecution that they're missing open opportunities to uh, really do some amazing things. So Anyway, I think that is a good spot to end up. That's about 30 minutes, which is about where I wanted to hit. Uh, But I appreciate you guys for jumping on and asking a few questions in this solo episode. Uh, I'm really excited to put this out. I'll definitely include some links here in the show notes. And again, if you're just tuning in for the first time, this is a little bit of a different episode. Uh, Typically, during the week, I'm interviewing on Wednesdays and Sundays guests who share stories of abuse. I interview experts who are working in the mental health field or in the field of law enforcement, the legal side of this kind of stuff. And then on the episode you're listening to today on, it'll be Saturday when this releases every Saturday, I do a solo Saturday episode where I answer questions, share my perspectives on different things. And uh, really give some insights into kind of my personal views on a lot of these situations and commentary. So if you're tuning in for the first time, be sure to stick around and listen to some of my interviews. I've had some amazing guests. We have a back catalog of 63 or 64 episodes now, which is incredible. And uh, just be sure to stay tuned every week. And I hope I get a chance to communicate with you guys in our official Facebook group, uh, on the Facebook page, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, You can find all of that under the Preacher Boys uh, name. And I look forward to chatting with you guys very soon. Thank you so much for listening. And I'll catch you on the next episode.
1: Thank you for listening to the Preacher Boys podcast. If you appreciated the content on the show, please leave a review on iTunes. And don't forget to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter with the handle at PreacherBoysDoc. Additional information can always be found on PreacherBoysDoc.com.